Hey, good to see you guys. Um, there's a lot of things that God does um, to remind me that He's real, but uh, today in particular, uh, I, I prayed something this morning, and um, I've just been reminded all day that our God answers prayers. And I prayed all day uh, this morning that I and we would feel um, the weight um, of some scriptural truths that are coming tonight. And I have never, ever in my life felt the weight uh, like I have today. And so I am thankful that God has been faithful to answer my prayers. And I want to pray right now for us uh, collectively that uh, come in here at varied places in our walk with the Lord and some uh, not at all. But I want to pray in the power of um, the Son of God that the weight of the truth of the Scriptures we tangibly and physically feel tonight. So let me pray that for us, okay? Uh, God, I'm so thankful that you are faithful and I'm so thankful for today answering my prayer. And I continue to plead it now for all of us together. Help us feel the weight and the truth of your scriptures in ways that we have never in our entire life. I pray that you confront us right now in these precious moments together with the depth and the reality of your character. We ask all of this in the great name of your son, Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let's start with a question. Have you ever committed to something and eventually quit? Uh, already some of you are starting to get squeamish um, because uh, you grew up in a household where you heard all of the quotes. And I've come to find out there are many just in a little bit of research that I've done, uh, there's a lot of quotes about quitting. And so some of you, like my own household now, uh, my kids all the time hear our little Sigma chants. And part of our Sigma chants is that Sigmas never quit. And unfortunately, that hasn't taken root yet because we'll be playing a board game and someone you know, gets chapped because they're not winning and they quit or someone's cleaning up their room and get frustrated and they quit or... You know, it hasn't quite sunken in yet. And what I've realized is that the quotes, the encouragements from me, they seem to, they seem ultimately to still be empty. So let's just look at a few of these quotes, and I'm wondering, like, how much will just change us all. Uh, Lance Armstrong, of course, pain is temporary, quitting lasts forever, okay? Good old Lance, right? And so I, I'm just wondering, like, if you were in the face of quitting something, how many of you would change your mind because of that quote, Right? And so you'd be like, oh, the trees are nice, so that kind of helps, you know, and that may be the case, okay? Uh, how about this one? We have to pull this one out, good old MJ. If you uh, quit once, it becomes a habit. Michael Jordan says, never quit. Uh, a really awesome backstory to Michael Jordan's success. So again, I'm asking, if you saw this quote in the moment and the hesitation of shall I quit or not, with this, you know, reverse dunk by MJ, a nice, beautiful quote underneath it, would it stop you from quitting? Anyone? Just by raise of hand. Okay, we're not doing well so far. Let's move on to this. 
Quote, crawling, uh, crawling is acceptable, falling is acceptable, puking is acceptable, crying is acceptable, blood is acceptable, pain is acceptable, but quitting is not. Uh, this has certainly, certainly been in many a locker room, okay? Uh, many a football locker room. I'm sure some of you grew up like patting this as you walked out to the field of play, you know, where the coach says, listen, I don't care if you puke, we're just not going to quit. And in me, I've shared this before, one of my worst memories ever was in freshman two-a-days, and in freshman two-a-days for football, uh, we, we still had a cinder track. Uh, I know that uh, many of you now uh, who run on tracks, it's like a merry-go-round. I mean, you run on like this plush mattress-feeling track. Uh, but for me and many of the rest of you, like the track was cinder. It's like black shards of glass, okay? And my coach, and he would have been fired for this now if he would have done it, he said, hey, boys, I want you to go out to the track and I want you to drag your hands on the track for one lap. Well, that sounds good in premise if you have a good back and don't mind bloody hands. You know, because we're all like dragging our hands. And what we realize is there's like trails of blood behind us. Because like, you know, the, the, the shards are cutting our hands up, right? But there's the coach yelling at us, don't quit. You can puke. I don't care. But just don't turn back. So I'm uh, right now feeling kind of pukish. Anyway, uh, how about this one? Next uh, slide. Can't get a, a, a quick quote without a little Walt Disney. The difference in winning and losing is most often not quitting. And then there's some things that just don't need a quote. Next slide. Like this, there's no quote needed here. You know, just like, mm, you can already hear the chant in the background and the beauty of Rocky. <laughs> so listen, um, every time we teach through a book of the Bible that features a character, uh, there's always a certain level of attachment that uh, I grow with, and I hope some of you. I've been asking myself for the last several weeks, what has been the impact on me from the study of Joshua? And all of a sudden, uh, middle of last week, so richly impacted by something, I started thinking through all the events of Joshua's life, and when you start to catalog them, you start to put them in some sort of chronological order, you realize how many opportunities Joshua had to quit. How many moments that Joshua endured where it would have made perfect sense from all of our understanding to just stop following God. It's too hard. There's no need to proceed. And as I started processing this and then looking at the text, I thought what would be most helpful for us tonight is to walk through the life of Joshua and notice the 10 moments in his life where he could have turned his back on God. The 10 moments that were climaxes in his journey where he could have said, like, God, I am done. And so as we walk through these step by step, I hope that it's way more than a recap for you. I hope there's a connection that happens maybe even between you and the character of Joshua and what God has done. So let's begin in our journey right here in Exodus chapter 17. This is the first time Joshua shows up in Scripture way before Joshua. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men. This is just after the Exodus, just after they've been released from slavery and go out and fight with Amalek. 
Tomorrow, says uh, Moses, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, really, really quick, the beginnings of Joshua's character is as a war general. We mentioned this in chapter 1. But I'm not so sure that I would be all the way encouraged in hearing the instructions from my leader that says, go pick some men, go and fight. I'm going to stand up there on the rock with a staff. You know, like, as a young general, I would be thinking, okay, like, why don't you come down and fight with us, Moses? But as a young general, in a young moment of his maturation, I think this is a precise moment, right from the get-go, that Joshua could have completely turned his back on the Lord. Let's say it this way, next slide. Joshua could have turned his back on the Lord when he was called to fight. Now already in some of you, there's some resonating that's happening because you're considering passages where Paul says, fight the good fight. You're considering passages in the scripture that talk about the fact that we're in a spiritual war. But it's the war that some of us run from. It's the fight that some of us aren't interested in. And so, Joshua, in this moment, I really believe, looking at the lay of the land, hearing the commands of Moses, this was the beginning of his journey. And 100% could have been the moment where he said, I am not interested in fighting. I may be a general, but not now. The, the odds seem overwhelming against us. And so though his journey with the Lord began young to Joshua, I think his opportunities to turn us back on God did too. And this was one of them. Number two, let's look at this. In Numbers 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people, Numbers 14 says, wept that night. Well, let me explain. Moses had sent out some spies to check out the promised land. And the report comes back from the majority of the spies that this land we should not inhabit. There are only two spies that come back with a, we need to trust in God. But in this case, the majority create this tension in the nation of Israel. And so as verse 1 says, all the congregation raised a loud cry. And all the people of Israel, look at this, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Next slide, look at this. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt, says the congregation of the nation of Israel. And do you know one of the men that was standing against all of this? It was our man Joshua. But what I realized in recounting the story is that for the majority of us, and certainly here for Joshua, this is an incredible opportunity for him to turn his back on God. Let's say it this way, number two. Joshua could have turned his back on the Lord when he was in the minority. When he looks at the masses, and the masses are going against the Lord. When he has to stand with a very few people and say, let's trust God, that moment for many of you, and certainly Joshua, is an incredible opportunity to say, I just can't do it. 
I can't stand by myself. I can't stand against this coworker. I can't go against the grain of this culture. I'm done. I quit. This is, this is over. It's not worth it, we say. Could have been Joshua. But his journey continues to unfold. The third example in Joshua's life. And the Lord commissioned Joshua. The son of Nun, as we saw hundreds of times in the study of Joshua. And said in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and courageous. For you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I, God says, will be with you. Now, it's easy to look at this and say, slam dunk, you're hearing from God's voice. And God's voice is saying, you're my man. But so far, there's been a consistency in the characters of God. When God called Moses, do you know what Moses said? Like, are you serious? Like, not me, Lord. And so this moment in Joshua's life, let's say it this way, next slide, when he was commissioned is one of the moments, like many of you, where you have said, I am incapable of the task at hand. It's not me. It's somebody else. It's that person. That person is way more gifted, more articulate. Their leadership skills are more designed. Their spiritual gifts more pronounced. God, not me. And so though God's voice is clear through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit, we turn our back. But Joshua's story continues. Check this out. Next slide. Now in the book of Joshua chapter 1. Only in repetition of Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and very courageous. Remember this? We saw this three times in chapter 1. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Check out the heaviness of this. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. Be careful to do according to all. I mean, the, the sheer amount of weight in that statement alone. Imagine hearing that. You can imagine it because you do. God hasn't called us to follow him lacklusterly. He's called us to follow him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength, full devotion to him. And for many of you, like Joshua in this moment, you come to the crossroads and you're like, I can't do it. I'm not fully devoted. I'm not interested in being fully devoted. I'd rather be fully devoted to something else, including myself. Next slide. Let's say it this way. He could have turned his back when the call seemed impossible. There is no possible way I can follow you in this way. Joshua could be hearing in his mind and his heart. But his journey continues. Next slide. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. And again, we saw this many, many, many times in Joshua. I'm wondering how many of you have changed your rhythms, your schedules because of Joshua's. Has anyone actually been getting up more early by the example of Joshua? Nobody. Good. The word is impacting us. Good to hear. <laughs> then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. This moment in the entire book of Joshua was one of the most impactful for me. The entire camp, 1.5 to 2.5 million of them, they make their way. The Jordan is in sight. 
the promised land that they've been waiting on for hundreds of years is within reach. They see it. He and all the people of Israel, they come there and they lodge there before they pass over. So they they set up a tent, Boy Scout style, on the other side of the river. And what lies before them? What has lied before you? Is a phenomenal opportunity in the negative sense of the word to turn your back on God. Let's say it this way. He could have turned his back when the unknown was vast. He looks across the river, does Joshua, and he doesn't know how it's all going to play out. And he doesn't fully understand yet the amount of bloodshed. He doesn't know yet what it's going to be fully required of the people of Israel. So he is looking out at all of the question marks. God, are are you sure? Is, Is this really going to go this way? What about this? God, have you thought about that? Uh, Lord, like, what about these details? And the question after question after question that is being raised up, surely in the heart and mind of Joshua, could have been crippling. Nope. Listen, we got here to the Jordan. Let's call that a win. High fives all around. Let's turn back because remember the Transjordan here, east of the Jordan, that's part of our inheritance too. So we don't actually have to cross it. Let's settle here. I'm asking you, how's the vastness of the unknown? The question marks. Have they ever caused you to turn your back on the Lord? I'm wondering. Has it ever created in you a hesitation? An inability to move? Because you looked out at what you did not understand and what you could not predict. But Joshua's story continues. Next slide. In Joshua chapter 6, as they come to Jericho, and as we learned, it's not Joshua that fought it. I hope all of you went home on the night we studied Jericho and could sing the song over and over again, but replace the words. God fought the battle of Jericho, 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 right? Well, verse 3 says this. You shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once because this makes military sense. Thus you shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Again, as you see on PBS, as they're charting out ancient military warfare, this is right out of the book, right, of clear militant warfare. On the seventh day you shall march around the city and the, uh, uh, seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Next slide, check this out, Okay. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Sure, God. Sure. Like, whatever you say. When we come to points in our life where the dots don't connect, where the T's aren't crossed. It's in those moments, like Joshua in this moment, where he had every opportunity to turn us back on the Lord. Are you kidding me, God? You want us to do what? And it's going to do what? God, let me tell you what would make more sense. Give us some big guns. 
Give us some heavy artillery and let's go at it. Like, why are we going to do this march thing? That, that, that feels even a little softer. Let's say it this way. He could have turned his back on the Lord when the call seemed illogical. Let me ask you, the call to make disciples, has that ever seemed or felt illogical to you? Let me ask you this, the call to forgive your enemies, the call to walk in love and humility, the call to be hospitable even in moments when it doesn't make sense, I'm asking, has that ever felt or seemed illogical to you? You know that it has because for many of us in that moment, it's the time we say no. It must make logical sense and if it doesn't, God, I will not go. Joshua had that opportunity. You and I have that opportunity on the daily because you start reading the word and you realize how at times illogical it really is. It makes no sense, God, that I would love and care for my enemies. There is no peace in my flesh that will ever be able to make sense of that. Joshua could have turned his back, but his journey continues. Next slide. Later in this chapter, heavy moment. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Next slide. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. When you read Jericho and when you see it on a Sunday school felt board, or when you look at it in a kid's Bible, it's easy to skip past the heaviness of the reality. You see, Joshua comes to this moment in his life where he has to wrestle with something very deep. And because of that wrestling, he has every opportunity to turn his back on God. Next slide. Let's say it this way. He can turn his back on God when God's wrath became real. You can hear about God's wrath. You can listen. You can read stories about God's wrath. But when you see it, like Joshua did in a very real way, when he saw God's judgment against sin, when he watched the penalty of sin, the wages of sin being death, when he saw it with his own eyes, this was the moment in Joshua when it's like, God, I I can take this piece of you, but I cannot handle this. I can't take judgment I can't handle wrath. This is that point in Joshua as an old seasoned man where I picture him, yes, experiencing the victory of the Lord and seeing the impossible happen and the illogical occur as the walls come tumbling down, but I watch him in my mind's eye struggling in his heart, is this the God that I serve? 
He had every chance to say, I'm done. Your wrath is too much. Your judgment is too great. But his journey continues. Later in this chapter, a crazy moment. So the young men who had been spies, Joshua had sent spies to scout out Jericho. They went in and brought out, what's her name? For those of you that were with us when we studied this story, uh, the dominating line was a prostitute with a name. Uh, Rahab in scripture isn't just called a prostitute, she has a name. Later in the book of Hebrews, when she comes back up, she has a name. And this is a crazy moment in scripture because she had formed an alliance with these spies She had confessed that the God of Israel was creating some tension in Jericho and the land. She had confessed that their God was seemingly her God. And so in response to this alliance, Joshua sends the spies to get her out. And her father and her mother and brothers and all who belong to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Now, I know what some of you are wondering. Why in the world would this moment be a moment where like some would turn their back or even Joshua have the moment to turn his back on God? Let me say it this way, very, very poignantly. Next slide. When the prostitute receives mercy, there is deep wrestling that occurs. We see it over and over and over as Jesus shows up on the scene. Why would you love the sinner? Why would you dine with the sinner? Why would you be gracious with the people that don't deserve it? So why would you think that in this moment as the prostitute receives mercy, that Joshua in his flesh could potentially, could potentially feel what some of you could feel? She doesn't deserve it. Her sin is too great. Let me pick up the stone. Let me cast judgment. I've never been a prostitute. I've never done this. I've never done that. And so if God is a God that's going to give the prostitute mercy, forget it, I'm done. If he's the kind of king that's going to welcome that kind of person in the kingdom, forget it. In the deep caverns of your heart, where only God sees. Have you ever said they shouldn't have received God's grace? Have you ever wished that God wouldn't save that person because they deserve wrath instead? Then you know what this feels like. He could have turned his back. Not the prostitute. Anyone but the prostitute, God. But his journey continues. Next slide. In Joshua chapter 7, in a huge moment in Scripture, Joshua now almost coming full circle said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? Look at what he says. To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? See, what's happened is they were defeated for the first time. Do you guys remember at AI what happened? Dozens were killed. Uh, The nation of Israel decided to send a lesser army, a few thousand. And because of the disobedience of, you guys remember the name? Of who? Of Achan, remember Achan? Stealing and hiding the devoted things under his tent. They are defeated. 
And so God looks up as Joshua now is saying, like, it it would have been better. And then look what God says in verse 10. He says to Joshua, get up. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Think about this moment in his life. No. No, God. I'd rather sulk. I'd rather feel sorry for myself. I'd rather sit here and wallow in my pain. And God, in the face of all this, looks at his servant and says, get up. There's more conquering to do. There's more land to be fulfilled. There's there's a people to lead. Get up. But it's in this moment that many of us have not gotten up. It felt better there. It was safer. It was more comfortable. It was confined. And for this moment in Joshua, he could have stayed. Next slide. It's the moment when defeat was suffocating. It's the moment when your sin feels so great that you literally feel the air escape out of your lungs. It's the moment when the pain of your circumstance is insurmountable. And you find yourself not wanting to get out of bed. It's the moment when all of the relational hurt and chaos that exists around you puts a noose around your entire existence that you get to this place where you say, seriously, Lord, is this the lot that you have for me? Is this what you have given me? Is this really what what I'm going to have for serving you and calling you God? And so many in this moment in their life when the pain was too great, the hope was offered. They said, no, God, I'm done with you. I'm tired of the pain, and maybe I can find the answers for it elsewhere. Joshua had that moment, but instead his journey continues. Next slide. All the lands that lay before him have now been conquered, 31 kings slain. And in chapter 24, God makes these statements. And again, I know what some of you are thinking, Mark, how could anyone look at that and say, this is a reason to turn your back on the Lord? Well, this maybe is the most prominent moment. It's the moment when great things have happened. It's the moment where the impossible and illogical occurred. And yet, we find ourselves amidst the story. We find ourselves being used. We find ourselves experiencing the illogical. And it's in those moments, it is so incredibly easy for us to look around and say, hey, I was a big part of that. It was my giftings that were on display. Did you see the miracle? I was right there. But at the end of Joshua's life, next slide, let's say it this way, he can turn his back when God took all of the credit. God says, I did that. I took, I plagued, I delivered, I was with you. I did the whole thing. And Joshua in that moment could say, yeah, but but God, what about me? 
What about my efforts? What about my works? What about the fruit of my hands? What about all the things that I have done? Next slide. When you look at all these together, I hope what happens in you is what happened in me. He has every opportunity to turn his back on God for every one of these reasons. And yet to summarize the life of Joshua, I would say it this way. When he was called as a general, Moses holding his staff, I'm going to trust you, God, when he's commissioned by God to be the successor to Moses. I'm going to trust you, God, when God tells him not to turn to his left or his right. It seems impossible to stay on the straight and narrow. Joshua says, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you, God, as Jericho stands before him and the nation of Israel and the river sits before him and all the unknown. He, he says, I'm going to trust you, God. I, I don't know how all this is going to play out when he sees the kings that are going to have to be killed, the people that are going to have to be conquered, the wrath that is going to have to be experienced deep within him, this faith. It's just beating out. I must trust you, God. And on and on and on, all the way until the end. As God takes all the credit. And Joshua sits back. And he calls the people, after God takes the credit, to serve that God. Let me change some of the wording and put up a new list. Have you ever wanted to turn your back on God when he called you into a fight? The fight that you're in. The fight that's been won, but the fight that exists against a very real, prevalent enemy. I'm asking you, have you ever wanted to turn your back on God when you were the minority, when you had to stand by yourself as a, in the workplace, in your family, Have you ever wanted to turn your back on God when the calling seemed impossible? What I'm asking is, have you ever or have you ever, in the face of all these things, literally turned your back on God? Has it happened? God, I'm done. I'm tired of this. I can't do it anymore. It's illogical. It's too great. Why would you save that person, God? It doesn't make sense. Why would you be wrathful, God? It doesn't make sense that your wrath would have to be displayed and on and on and on. So what? Do you want some quotes? Do I want to like go back to some quotes about what it means to remain faithful? Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Vince Lombardi's renditions on not quitting. Is that is that what we need tonight? You want some good poetry? Do I want some good poetry? Some self-help stuff to make it better? Because I look at this list, and quite honestly, there have been times in my life where defeat was so suffocating, I could not even speak the name of God. Where the lies were so prevalent in my ear. You're nothing, you're worthless, stay down there. 
where defeat had me gripped, where the enemy had me snapped, where like everything felt hopeless. And I, in those moments, I couldn't even articulate God, let alone turn to him. But what I've realized is you're either running to him and trusting him or you're turning your back on him in the face of these things. So at the end of all of this, next slide. The riches of perseverance are found in trusting God through it all. We don't need self-help. We don't need a good football coach's quote. What we need is a good God who is unbelievably trustworthy and who showed himself to Joshua over and over and over why he can be trusted. But as incredible even as the character of Joshua is, look at what happens next. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 29. After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, all these things, the servant of the Lord, died. This unbelievable character, this name that even has resemblances of the name of Jesus, which will come many years later, he, he dies at 110. They buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Like, that's the account. Like, you would think reading about the death of this man that endured and persevered through all of these things and continually trusted God through all of these things, like, like your Bible would become 3D and there would be, like, confetti and, you know, like, things jumping out of it, right? Because we're going to celebrate this man. And yet, the Scripture says, at 110, he died. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. And as much as they said, we will serve the Lord, if you start setting judges, you know that things start to go south quickly. They obey for a season, certainly, but then back to their flesh. Verse 32, as for the bones of Joseph, now Joseph makes an entrance, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt. Some of you will remember that from the beginning of our journey. They buried them at Shechem, this place between these two mounts and the place of the land that Jacob brought from the sons of Amor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And I know some of you are starting to get a little downtrodden. Why all the funerals? Because that's the reality. And look at verse 33. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died too. So if Joshua wasn't enough, if now we're talking about the bones of Joseph, boom, we have another funeral to contest with. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gilbath, uh, Gilbath, the the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, does anyone else have a sense of incompleteness? Does anyone else inside of you have this sense of it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel right? He lives faithfully. He endures faithfully. And then the end of this book is he dies and Joseph's bones are there and the priest dies too. 
I want to contend something to you. It feels eerie, and it feels incomplete. It feels all of that for a reason. Next slide. It feels that because of all of the people that have been leaders in the nation of Israel that have died before him. Let me give you so far the pattern of mankind. Noah, he builds an ark. Guess what? He dies. Abraham, that's right, Father Abraham. Oh, he had many sons, dead. Isaac, his son, dead. Jacob, his son, dead. Joseph, the great Joseph in the technicolor dream coat, dead. Aaron dies, Moses dies. And the reason why all of this feels so eerie is because of this. It seems like, next slide, that our man Joshua is just one more man. One more leader in the nation of Israel that dies. Now, I prayed this morning that I would feel the weight of something like I never have. And I pray tonight when we started that you would feel the weight of something like you never have. And the weight that I prayed this morning that would over, overwhelm me is the weight of the curse. You see, the reason why all of these deaths feel incomplete the reason why it doesn't feel right, the reason why we get to the end of this journey and it seems like, like there, there's still something happening, it's because of something that God told Adam. In a moment that, that feels so fairy tale, and it feels like there's no possible way I'll ever get the weight of it, but look at what God says to Adam in Genesis. Look at what he says. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I've been praying that tonight we would feel the weight of the curse. That because of sin, this dust that we were made from, all of a sudden then, we would just be back to dust. Moses dying, Aaron dying, Joshua, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, all back to dust. Dust to dust. Nothing left, it seems. And they thought, many years later, when they pierced his wrists and his ankles, they thought in that moment that it would be enough that another Jewish leader, another rebellion would be thwarted. They thought that when they thrust the crown of thorns into his skull, that it would be enough. Just another piece of the curse. 
Another man with a mission, dust to dust. They thought when they pierced his side and the blood and the water flowed that it would be enough. They thought as they watched his lungs fill with water that it would be enough. They thought when they heard him scream out, it is finished, that it would be enough. They thought when they rolled the tomb, this massive stone in front of an an empty cavern, that it would be enough. One more Jewish man, dead. One more dust to dust. One more rebellion thwarted. They thought it would be enough. And the tomb sits silent. And all the hope of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders is based on the fact that now Jesus is just dust. And when the weight of the curse and the power of sin grips you like never before, then maybe you stand outside of the tomb shouting out, it wasn't enough. The crown wasn't enough. It's not going to keep him down. I trust him. I saw the blood flow. It's not going to keep him dead. It's not over. The curse is going to be thwarted. This one isn't dust to dust. This time it's different. And so maybe, just maybe, as God beckons us to trust him, it would be found in a hope that the dust is conquered in an empty tomb. Let's stand together and pray. God, I am so sorry for the times that I have treated sin like some sideshow. I'm so sorry for the ways that I've taken your sacrifice lightly. I'm so sorry that the weight of what you accomplished on the cross doesn't move me enough. God, I'm praying right now that the truth of who you are reality of a curse that was broken the hope in an empty tomb I'm praying tonight that it would beckon all of us here to trust you God we're fearful we're gripped by our circumstance we're held down by our sin we feel lost and lonely defeated God I'm praying tonight that you would confront us with your character so deeply and richly that our only option is to trust you through it all and that in that we would receive the riches of perseverance 
A long-lasting faith that doesn't start well and peter out, but just rest in who you are, God. Tonight, I am thankful that they thought it was enough. I'm so thankful tonight that it wasn't. Help us trust in you, God.